Hey girl, Heather Nelson here. Welcome to Life Conversations with a Twist. I'm so excited to build a community where I inspire and empower women who are going through hard times. I can't wait to share with you women who have unique stories and have overcome hard times in their life. So grab your favorite cocktail, lean in, and let's cheers to empowerment, ladies. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Life Conversations with a Twist. I'm very excited to have Megan on today. Um, I This is my first time meeting Megan, but it's not the first time I've heard of her. Um, I am on the board for Social Advocates for Youth, and uh, one of the, the things that they're focusing on this year is human trafficking. And um, you had spoke to some of our board members, and they were like so intrigued by your story. Um, and I'm like, I have to have her on my podcast. So here you are. And um, Megan, tell us a little bit about you and who you are, where you live, all those fun things. I lived in Sonoma County since December of 2016, so five years now, and um, I moved here directly after I got out of human trafficking, about a year and a half after I got out of human trafficking, and uh, originally was, most of my childhood was spent in Sacramento, and I I was born in Oklahoma, Um, so I got moved around a lot as a child. Um, And how old are you, did you say? I'm currently, I'm 31 years old. Okay. Awesome. And you've been in Sonoma County for five years. Yes. So, um, I, you're going to tell us your story about human trafficking. And to be honest, like it was something that was not um, on my radar at all. And when we got, when I got involved with social advocates for youth, you know, it's obviously like something that is, um, very, um, a big thing in Sonoma County. And it's, and it's as a resident and I, someone that's lived here their whole life, like it's something that I've never really heard about, but now I'm hearing more about it. And I live in Rona park and they say Rona park has a really high like rate. And I'm not sure if you could speak to that, but how, like, how did, how, like, how did you even, how did it even start? I don't even know like anything about it. So I'm so curious to hear your story and how this all came about. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, when they think of human trafficking, there's a sensationalized version of human trafficking. It got really big with the QAnon movement. And we think of sex trafficking and little children being kidnapped from grocery stores. That's what we think of. And so when we say there's a lot of human trafficking in Sonoma County, people are automatically thinking of that. Um, And that leads to them calling police when somebody's looking at them a little bit weird in the grocery store. Right. And so when we talk about what human trafficking actually is, we've all seen it and we just didn't realize it. And so for me, it started when I was uh, 19 years old. Um, I did grow up with a lot of risk factors. And we talk about risk factors as things that put children and young adults at risk for being uh, trafficked. Um, those risk factors for me were sexual abuse as a child, growing up in the foster system, neglect, a strained relationship with my parents, um, my adoptive parents. Um, they did the best that they could, um, but it was a very strict household because they were trying to break me out of patterns that I had gotten with when I lived with my biological parents. I was adopted at age eight, which is a little bit later than most children. And so, you know, my, my biological father was in prison. My mom was an addict, an alcoholic. All those things put me at a huge risk because I was vulnerable. And so I was 18 years old, no self-esteem, all these bad experiences, no idea what a healthy relationship looks like. And I was out on my own in the world. 
and I was working downtown Sacramento and the older guy came in, he was in his mid twenties, right? So obviously I'm well past that now, but for me, that was older being 19. This guy comes in very nice car. He's with, you know, some family members of his and now working downtown Sacramento, we knew pimps right when we saw them like sex trafficking pimps. We already knew what, what their deal was and what their game was. He was very different. And he came in and he asked me about myself. He took me to dinner and he asked me about myself. And I talked about, yeah, I'm adopted. You know, I just moved out at 18 and all these things where I thought that like I was getting to know somebody and that they wanted to get to know me. I'm just giving him all this ammunition. And he's like, she's got a strange relationship with her parents. She doesn't know what a healthy relationship is, all those things, right? I basically just told him those things without realizing that I told him those things. And so then he says, you know, your parents don't deserve you. Come move up with me. Come live up with me and you're going to make so much money. You won't even know what to do with it. And, um, you know, of course, this happened over the span of like six to nine months. It was slowly coming into my job, you know, tipping really well, buying me nice things, taking me out. Um, and I was really hard up for money because this was 2009 going into 2010 and we were in a recession and he told me that he was growing marijuana legally, which he was, he had a card, which anybody could get from a doctor at that point. And he said that he was growing marijuana. He was his caretaker for his grandparents. And then anything that was excess got sold to the cannabis club. Um, it sounded like completely legitimate. And he had said, I've got some excess. If you can find somebody to buy this from me, I will give you $500. That was a month's rent back then. And so I was like, oh, of course, like, this is great. Um, and I went and found somebody and it seemed a little bit sketchy when the actual transaction occurred because it wasn't at a cannabis club. It was kind of like in a parking lot. I was like, this is kind of weird. I said, thank you for the money. That was great. I don't really want to do that again. He goes, excuse me. Like you, I just made you $500 and you're just going to back out right like that. And so that's when I realized like, you don't really have an option now because now you're intimidated and you're scared and you're thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get in trouble. He's like, you know, what you did was actually illegal. Like, and I didn't, you know, they just trick you into these situations and then you feel like you can't get out. And so after nine months, he had moved me up to Lake County with his family and there was no money. There was no, you know, I gave up my car. They took my driver's license. They took my social security card. I had no cell phone service. And I was basically at that point, a domestic servant. I was house cleaning, cooking, yard work, washing cars, digging holes, um, taking care of the marijuana plants. Um, his grandmother worked for IHSS and she would have me go take care of her clients on days when she didn't want to, but of course she was getting the money totally illegal, total IHSS fraud. You know, we really hear about IHSS fraud all the time. That's a perfect example. Uh, she claimed me on her taxes to get extra money. They had me signed up for food stamps. You know, I was, I was allowed to eat once a day. I dropped down to 110 pounds. I'm five foot six. Um, and I'm 150 now, and it's like the perfect weight. I was 40 pounds lighter. I was anemic. Um, on top of that, whenever harvest season would come around, you know, his business partners and friends would come into town. They'd have these parties, and they would want me to 
to dance for his friends at these parties. And they basically would just try to get me drunk. And, um, and luckily I, I was never forced into prostitution. Um, that was one thing that did not happen. There was a time when he owed a debt to a member of a cartel and uh, to pay off that debt, I was leased to the cartel for six months. I had to stay in a cartel member's house and take care of it um, while he was gone. And, you know, that was kind of the beginning of when I realized that this was getting really dangerous. I mean, if the, if I didn't see it before, I was really starting to see it now. And I remember, you know, the house had gotten robbed at one point and I would be at nighttime. There were people banging on the door um, because they, you know, somebody owed them money. You know, it was a very volatile, dangerous situation when you're dealing with these people. And I'll never forget this, this cartel member who was like in his fifties comes to me in the kitchen. And he's like, what are you doing here? You know, like. I don't, you know, this isn't a good place for you, you know? And, and I was like, yeah, you're right. You know, but I felt at that point that I had no way out. Uh, I was told that if I called law enforcement, I would go to jail too. I would go to prison even. And my family was threatened. And so, you know, I think back to my adoptive parents and my two brothers and how just innocent they are. They had no idea what was going on. And I did not want to drag them into this because I felt at this point, I was just a disappointment, you know, after everything that they had given me to pull me out of the situation I was in as a child, they, they gave, I had everything I could want. I had an education. I had, I went to schools and summer camps and played sports and I'm, you know, I just didn't want my parents to know how bad I messed up basically. Um, and so that was happening. That was about two and a half years in. Um, um, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say three years in. Sorry, my timeline's off. Um, and after that, you know, I just remember, you know, I was getting sick all the time. I was constantly having to go to the hospital uh, for kidney infections and anemia, um, bruised ribs, cuts, scars. You know, I got injured a couple of times and nobody really ever asked any questions. You know, um, looking back on it, if I was a healthcare worker in a hospital and a 19 year old came in from Sacramento and she's up in Lake County, I'm going to question that. What are you doing here? Are you here with family? Like what? You're not in the environment that you should be. Something's up. But, you know, nobody really questioned why I was from there and what I was doing up here, or I might've said, said something, you know, and, um, then after the lease with the cartel was over, I was moved back out um, with the original grow. Even then, um, I remember that summer, the sheriff's office was cracking down on, on marijuana grows and they were starting to restrict how much you could grow. And this was the summer of 2014. Um, at this point, I mean, I had been assaulted now so many times I couldn't even count. And I was just I just, you just resigned to myself to the fact that this is how my life was going to be. And, um, you know, I wasn't being productive enough. I wasn't trimming fast enough. I wasn't staying up fast enough. That's at that point, uh, he would start having me do drugs to try to stay awake, drugs to get me in the mood, drugs to make me in a better mood, you know, because I was being quote unquote miserable. Um, and, uh, it was awful. I, you know, I, 
I just, it was the worst feeling of being like out of control of your body and being mentally altered like that. I hated it. And, um, finally, uh, it was the summer of 2014. I remember there was a landline in the house and somebody called the landline and my trafficker was outside and I answered the phone and it was a neighbor and they said, the sheriff is coming through and they're taking everybody's stuff. And I didn't tell him I hung up the phone and I didn't tell him. And I thought to myself, they're going to come in, you know, he's on, he's on probation. He's a felon. So maybe they'll search him and they'll find the stolen guns. They'll find the drugs other than the marijuana and maybe they'll arrest him. And then I can try to talk my way out of it. Cause again, I was still in that mindset that I'm going to go to jail for this too. Even though I had no criminal history, not even a speeding ticket. Um, I could be around guns, you know, drugs, obviously it's questionable, but I was thinking to myself, like at this point, like maybe I could try to talk myself out of it and explain what's been going on because even I didn't define what was happening to me as human trafficking. I just thought I was in a really shitty situation uh, with a really abusive person. Um, And they came out and I remember them coming up to the gate and he told me, go inside, just get inside now. And so I'm like, okay. (laughs) So I went inside and I'm watching him and they came through the front gate and they took down all his marijuana and they left. And I was like, okay. And that, that was it, you know? And he says, well, you're going to have to get a job now because all our money is gone. And on top of that, he sued the sheriff's department because they came onto the property without a warrant and he won. And he, so he got a good chunk of change for that. And I just was like, it's just so insane to me that they had to pay out this criminal for violating his rights. And then here I am still in the situation that I'm in. And, and again, it, it wasn't suspicious to them that he sent this girl inside the house. They didn't ID me. They didn't question me, nothing. And, um, and so I just, you know, I just was like, what, what is going on here? And, um, but then I got a job and working in the job, I started to get to know some people, you know, I was very guarded Um, Because I'd had some small jobs before. And as soon as I started getting friendly with coworkers, he would have me quit. And so um, through that time, I remember we're we're moving into 2015 now. And um, I'm working this job. And I remember one day he had come home with some pills. And he had told me before, he said, a lot of the people that work up on the farms are immigrants. And he's like, they just get killed every year because their family's not going to report them missing. He goes, your family might actually wonder where you're at. So, you know, every time he's mad at me, you know, he's useless, but I can't even kill you. You know what I mean? So I've really just got to put up with you, I guess. I'm a busy mama. And the last thing that I want to do is go grocery shopping. So I use Instacart. It's the best app ever. Download the app. You pick what grocery store you want to shop at. I use it a lot for Costco. I pick all the items that I want. You pick the time that you want it delivered and they show up right to your door. You don't have to go wait in line. You don't have to deal with people at the store. It's super quick and easy. All your items are saved. So each time I go to the store, I can just re-pick all my items and someone goes shopping for me. Instacart has saved me so much time and money. I'm one of those people when I go grocery shopping, I buy more things than I need. Uh, This keeps it limited onto the only things that I need for the week. I highly recommend it. You can actually get a free delivery on your first order of $35 or more. 
you click in the show links and go to the link, download the app, put in the code, and you can receive your first delivery on your first $35. I promise you, you will not regret it and you will never want to go grocery shopping again. So if you're interested in Instacart, take a look at the link. One day he brought home some pills and he told me to take them and I asked him what they are and he was like, it doesn't matter, just take them. And I took them. And what I learned later on was that it was very, very powerful morphine. Um, and in the past, my, my past drug use had not been opiates. It had been stimulants. And so it was not something that I was used to. And I remember starting to feel really dizzy and in and out, you know, and I remember asking to go to the hospital. I said, I think I'm ODing and I need to go to the hospital. And he says, no, he said, you'll be fine. And, um, I remember like even hallucinating, it was the weirdest experience, um, because I have never used opiates other than like, you know, prescribed pain pills, like very small amounts. And, um, I remember laying down and I felt like I was like floating 10 feet in the air. And I remember laying there and thinking like, this doesn't feel so bad. You know, I'm very disconnected from reality right now. And then I remember starting to fall asleep and I was like, I think I'm dying. I was like, I think that's what this is, you know? And I remember just thinking like, at least this doesn't hurt, you know? And I remember falling asleep and then the next day I woke up. So it was obviously strong enough to put me out, but I did wake up and I was like, okay. And I remember thinking, this is how he's going to kill me. He's going to kill me with pills and he's going to tell my parents I overdosed and that's it. Like, it's so believable. And I was like this, I can't, I cannot do this. Like at that point I was willing to risk going to jail. If that's what was going to happen. I was, I just, I couldn't do it. I was like, I just, I snapped out of it. And I realized like, I can do better than this and I am worth it. And so I remember going to town. Cause at this point I did have vehicle privileges because I was working. Um, I had 20 minutes to before work. So I was given 20 minutes to get there, 20 minutes to get back. And I remember after work, I said that I needed to run some small errand. And I went to my old boss's house and um, he wasn't there. And I was, but I noticed that the shop next to him was empty because his son had moved out. And after that, I went to go check the mail. And then he called me because I, I got a phone at that point so that he could call me when I was in town um, but he would always go through the phone and make sure that he knew who I was calling, texting and everything like that. And didn't really have a lot of social media access. And um, he called me and I said, hey, I was wondering if you have any rooms for rent, you know, like just for me. And he goes, yeah, my son moved out. He's like, you're finally ready to leave that asshole. Like, like, obviously they knew something was up. They just didn't understand completely what was going on, you know. And so I said, yeah, but I have no money. I have my two cats that I don't want to leave behind. And he said, that's fine. He said, you can move in, just give us money. You know, when you get, when you get your first check, you can pay half the rent every two weeks. And I said, okay. I said, also like, how am I even going to get my stuff? I don't have a lot of stuff, but how am I going to get it? He says, tomorrow at 4 PM. He's when you drive home, there's a little store by your house. There's going to be a woman in a red truck. Just meet her. And I'm thinking like, this is crazy. So went home, acted like nothing was wrong. Um, you know, most of my stuff was already in boxes anyway. So I just literally acted like nothing was wrong. Went to work the next day. I was sweating. I was so nervous. And I was like, I can't believe this is actually going to happen. 
And, um, and when I drove home, sure enough, there was a red truck at the store. This woman, I will never forget her. I've never met her before. And she was like five foot two blonde country gal. And she was like, are you ready? And I was like, yeah, I'm ready. And she followed me to the house and she backed in the driveway. And I remember him coming out and he said, what are you doing? And I was very calm. And I said, I'm moving out. He said, no, you're not. I said, yes, I am. That's what's happening right now. I'm moving out. Um, his grandmother came over, you know, she started calling me all sorts of names. You were useless anyway. I said, if I'm useless, then you should be happy that I'm leaving. And, uh, he was throwing things at me, throwing my stuff out in the front lawn. He's like, you'll be back. You'll be back in a week. He's like, cause you can't make it out there. And, uh, I just call very calmly, you know, um, the woman I was with was very calm. We were just loading my stuff in anything that could fit into the back of that truck, my two cats. And I got in there and we, we got out of that and, you know, that was it, but it's not really it because then of course there's the trying to get me back. You know, he, um, moved into a house at the end of the street and was calling me, texting me all hours of the day, trying to follow me to work, you know, cause I didn't have a car. So he knew where I was going to be walking to work, um, just sitting outside my house or my new house. And, um, so that was like a three month thing where I had to go down and get a restraining order. And finally he, he let go. And then I saved up my money and moved to Sonoma County. And I, I had no skills. I, I didn't know how to dress for an interview. I didn't, you know, it, it was baby steps. Like I went and got a car from the junkyard, drove that to get the job. You know, uh, I was lucky that there was women at my job that kind of helped me dress up to get an interview for like a better job than what I had. And it was just, it's literally one day at a time, you know, that was seven years ago. And so now where I am is I am a, a certified EMT. I went back to school and got my EMT certification. I was working as an EMT. Now I do private investigation work and fugitive recovery work. I volunteer for Redemption House of the Bay Area as their public relations manager. And we're, we do speaking engagements, education. I have a five-hour class that I teach specifically for law enforcement that talks about the, the legal aspect, everything. It's like identification, prevention, prosecution, everything that can be touched on um, for law enforcement. And then I do like a smaller class for social workers, which is what I did for SAY. And um, I'm a criminal justice major at the Santa Rosa JC, and I'm just trying to do good things. And I also own a business. So, you know, I just, you know, and when I talk about, when I talk about survivors coming out of it, and I even go to, even though I don't really identify with the NA or the AA community, even though I used drugs, I still go to those meetings and I talk to people who are coming into recovery, that this can seem like a daunting experience starting over. It takes time. And, and that can be so overwhelming to some people because they stay trauma bonded and they stay in their comfort zone of like, well, I've got a roof over my head and I have food. Yeah, you're going to be uncomfortable. I was very uncomfortable and I didn't know if I was going to make it, but I did, you know, and I will be damned if I ever get in that position again. So it, it just takes time, um, but it takes community. It was tons of people who were willing to help me, teach me how to dress, take me shopping 
give me my first like fridge full of groceries, um, taking me to the courthouse to get a restraining order. Like I couldn't have done it alone. And I think that's, that's the big part too. Um, there's a lot of human trafficking in the homeless community and, and people just don't want to help the homeless. I mean, obviously people do. Yes. But there's a lot of people who are like, get a job. If it's just not that easy, you know, it can seem so overwhelming and it took so many different people who were willing to help me along with me wanting to help myself. Nobody can do it on their own. Absolutely nobody. And that's really important. Um, and so, yeah, what the human trafficking that I experienced was labor trafficking. Right. And I didn't know that's what it was. So how could I go to the police and say, I'm a human trafficking victim if I don't know what it is? And so I think that's a lot of problem with our victims here in, in Sonoma County is they don't realize that what's happening to them is a crime other than, OK, domestic violence, sexual assault. But they don't realize what's happening to them is a federal crime. And they don't know that because there isn't that education. And so when we think about ch children being kidnapped from stores, it's really not that common. What's happening is vulnerable young teens, young adults are being lured into these situations because they have an unstable home, unstable upbringing, and they have traumas. It's immigrants who are being told, come to America for the good life, and you're going to stand on the side of the road and sell fruit for the next five years for free. You know, those are situations that we don't think of as human trafficking. So. Wow. I'm like, good for you. Like what a journey. And to see, like, this is why I, my podcast like came about is that we've all go through hard things, like the gamut of whatever, right. Life is hard, but seeing that you can like be like something positive can come out of it and that you can help educate other people and like come out and like, I'm just so in awe of your story and so proud of you to just finally take that chance and just be like, screw him. And I'm out. Yeah. So that's crazy. I have a couple questions for you. Mm -hmm. Um, what happened to him? Like, is he like so, did he go to jail or he, he still lives in the same house that he did back then. Um, in 2019, um, I went to Elizabeth Quiroz. She is the co-founder of Redemption House. And I had gone to her because like I said, I own a business and I, as the business, I wanted to see what I could do in the terms of human trafficking. I mean, her sat down and and I was talking to her um, about some of the abuses that happened to me as a child and stuff. And she said, I want you to come to a support group and listen to these girls' stories. And I went to this support group and one of the other girls was telling a story. And I was like, oh my God, that is what happened to me. And I told Liz, I said, you know, I know I'm here to listen to their stories, uh, but can I tell you about something that happened to me? And I told her, she's like, that's trafficking. Like you were working, working and not getting paid and being traded off to other people in, in exchange for debt, that is 100% human trafficking. And so that is when um, she, her and Lisa McQuaid, uh, the other co-founder of Redemption House, they drove me to the sheriff's department to make my police report. So obviously it happened four years later, I sat down in there, told him everything. And that was in July of 2019. And then he emailed me in December of last year and said, okay, we're going to try to take it to the DA's office this year. The problem with the Lake County Sheriff's office is they're so underfunded. They have very little resources. They've got one detective and he had cancer last year. So it, you know, and, and he had told me in 2019, he said, I don't really want you to speak publicly about this because it could compromise our case, but now it's been two and a half years 
And I'm like, I have to talk about this. Like I am letting my knowledge and experience go to waste. And at this point, if he doesn't get arrested, that's fine. Um, you know, because that's not going to fix what happened. And I know that it's not happening to other people. You know, I have personal knowledge, you know, I hear things. So I know that it's not being continued. That was the biggest thing for me. Um, you know, I know he's been arrested since then for like other domestic incidences, but uh, at this point, no, I don't think he's going to go to jail and it, it is what it is. The biggest part now is just stopping it from happening to other people. Education, you know, th these teenagers hear about like, even in other states, they hear about Humboldt, Mendocino and the Emerald Triangle, and they want to live this kind of free life in the marijuana. And I'm like, it's not like that. It's, it's just not what it is. And, and I don't have anything against legal cultivation of marijuana and people who want to grow their, their medicine and stuff. I, I, that's okay with me. Um, but I do think there needs to be proper regulation and you basically, you gave a criminal a license to grow a drug is what you did. You know, there was no oversight in, in when they were handing out the, this doctor hundred dollars, I have a headache. Here's a license to grow marijuana. There was zero oversight during those time during that time, and it's stricter now. But you know, anybody could have seen like this this felon on probation and said we're going to do a search, and they would have found all these things. But they didn't do that. So what's the point of having laws if they're not followed up on? Now, is it just so frustrating to you to see some of the like um, criminal like like he? pretty much like ran your life for, you know, what you said, three years, four years, five and a half years. Yeah. And like, I would be so like infuriated that this guy just to, gets to get live free of it and not like have any, you know, ramifications of what happened. Like, isn't that so frustrating to you? And it is, it is, but I'm, I'm starting to make peace with it because am I going to spend my energy being angry at that? Or am I going to spend my energy trying to educate and, and help bring, bring people out of the situation. I mean, I only have so much energy, <laughs> so I have to decide where I'm going to focus that energy and it's just not worth my energy anymore. Yeah. I love that. And what do you do like to, I mean, you probably, it sounds like you've had a lot of trauma, like through your whole entire life. And, um, I could imagine that, that it still continues. Do you do counseling? Like, what are you doing to kind of like help yourself through that? Yeah. I use the services of Verity. Um, Verity has great counseling and therapists. And I don't actually think that I saw a therapist as an adult until 2020 during COVID. And when I reached out and, um, and, you know, I've been, I haven't been lately, but yeah, I did use therapy for a solid like year and a half and it's an ongoing process. You know, um, we always, that, and then the support group doing the support group through redemption house and talking to other girls and, just really lifting each other up and supporting each other and being able to talk about it in an open space with other people that are going to understand is really great too. Yeah. Um, in 2005, no, last summer, last summer I went to, uh, cause I do fugitive recovery. It's bounty hunting. Basically it's, they just don't call it that anymore. Um, I had a bail case that I went up to the Lake County for, and the guy was growing tons of weed. And so I remember stopping a fishing game warden on the side of the road. And I said, Hey, I'm going to be, you know, going in after this guy. And, and he's got a lot of weed. I don't know if that's something that's of interest to you or not. 
And he takes me back to the headquarters and there's like deputies and there's U.S. forestry and everything like that. And we're all standing there and they say, yeah, you know, I said, he's got some weed and I gave him his name and they're like, we're very familiar with him. He's kind of violent. And so we would like to go with you since, you know, you're by yourself. And uh, and I'm pretty sure they did this because I was a young female, but they they had the helicopter. They got their helicopter up there. Yeah. And so I went in with U.S. Forestry, Fishing Game the sheriff's department, a helicopter canine, and we destroyed so much marijuana. And it was the same deputy that had come out to the house in 2014 and taken my traffickers marijuana. No way. Yeah. And I saw his name tag and I said, do you remember me? And he goes, no. And I said, I gave him the address. I gave him my traffickers name. He goes, that was you. He goes, I remember you going inside the house. And I, I thought it was weird. I'm like, yeah, that was weird, wasn't it? You know, and he was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I never thought that that was what was going on, you know, but it was just so full circle that this person that was, you know, eight years ago now, and now we're together destroying (laughs) marijuana up in Lake County. It was, and they gave me a, they gave me a patch. It's like, whenever you do an operation with camp, it's called camp. Uh, you get a patch and he's like, yeah, you're, you're completely allowed to wear this now. And there you go. And so it's in my car. It's like my good luck token, you know? Um, but yeah, no, I definitely feel like a lot of things in my life have come full circle and I'm going to be doing some training with the Mendocino Sheriff's office here soon. They just contacted me this morning. So. Oh, great. Oh, good. I'm glad. I know. I feel like you having an insight from the other side and educating them on like cues and things to look out for, like, I think is, um, that's something so cool to be a part of. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm really trying to give back. So the, your parents, you talked about your parents, did they not know where you were at this time or did you not communicate with them? They knew that I was in Lake County. They just thought I was with a boyfriend who was a punk, honestly. And I did come and see them a couple times. It was very limited time window. And again, I wanted to protect them. So I didn't really say anything. I can't even imagine what, um, what advice do you have for girls that, you know, in the age of when this kind of like started happening to you that you could give them to help them either not get in a situation like that or anything that you can say that, um, like clues, things like that, that would, um, you know, prevent them from doing something. Well, and it's hard to, because, um, we always, tell girls what to do to avoid becoming victims, right? Instead of educating everybody else around them. And so obviously if something is too good to be true, it is. Whether it's a modeling job, whether it's quick, easy cash money, if it's too good to be true, it is. Um, And so you can't tell a teenage girl, have better role models, right? She can't choose the role models in her life. But I will tell you that, you know, keep these things in mind and then but it's really, I got to educate everybody else around them too. And what I tell, when I talk to law enforcement, when I talk to social workers, when I talk to teachers, um, you need to be that role model before a trafficker is that role model. And if you see, you know, and it's hard with law enforcement because we have put so much responsibility on them. You know, we're in, in this country, we're so law enforcement based that that's one of the only places you can go to for help is law enforcement. And unfortunately there's a lot of trauma between 
at-risk communities in law enforcement. And so when I, the last time I did a law enforcement training, I said, when you see that house and you keep getting called to that house for that girl, that's either acting up or something happened, she's getting in fights at school or mom and dad's not around, you know, when you keep going to that house over and over again, that something's up, right. That she's at risk that he or she is at risk. And so that's when you can consult your social workers and say, Hey, this child needs a little bit more attention. Let's, let's get her into he or she into a program or a camp. Or, you know, I, I, one time I did a ride along when I was applying for law enforcement agencies, I did a ride along and the police officer that I was with said that he specifically targets young Hispanic teenagers coming from um, this area, the bad area into the good area. Cause they go to the good area to work. I don't want to say which department I was with. I don't know if I already did, but I don't want to say what department I was with, but he says, he's like, I wait for him to leave this bad neighborhood to go into the good neighborhood. And he's like, they're almost always going to have drugs on them. I was like, yeah, 14 year olds trying to make money because his mom's probably working three jobs. You're right. And he's like, yeah, but once I get him on drugs, I can get him on felony probation and I can search him for the rest of his life because I'll always find a way to violate him. I was like, that's one way to view it. Or you could be like, this 14-year-old's clearly struggling. Is it cheaper to incarcerate him for the rest of his life? Or is it cheaper to say, hey, man, do you like basketball? Let's get you on a team. Right? But people don't want to spend money. You know, they think about like, if I have to pay for my kid's basketball, why is his basketball free? Do you want to spend $30,000 a year when he goes to jail or what? You know, you pay now or you pay later. And I'm really big on that. That child can only do so much about their situation. It's the adults around them that can really change their life and they need to like step up, (laughs) you know, so I don't want to get angry, but I get angry because there's so much things that can be done to help these children and it's not being done. And if you really want to quote unquote, save the children, that means all of them, not just your child. I love that. What, like, what a great message. And I think that it's so true that it does, it comes from us, you know, the adults. And, and that was my, my, my other question to you is as a community person and as an adult, like, what can I do or anybody who wants to like, you know, obviously you touched on like, you know, if we see, you know, families that are, you know, children that are struggling, but like, if we see something that's like off in the community, like we, you know, we see you at the store with some creepy guy that seems like not right. Like, what can we do as a community to like, either get them out of that situation or, you know what I mean? Is there anything we can do? Um, You know, there's been times when I was in the store with my trafficker and, you know, nobody really said anything. And then they saw things going on, you know, Hey, are you okay? you know, and, you know, and I hate to say it, call law enforcement because that's through the only ones who can do anything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> um, but, you know, obviously, you know, there's, there's resources. I carry my card now. If I see a girl that's kind of a little suspicious to me. And I even saw one time I went to the fair. It was weird. Something just went thunk in my office. Uh, I was at the fair one time and there was a guy working at the fair and we tried to tip him and he said, don't give me those tips. I don't get to keep any of them. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I get $50 cash a day and I don't get to keep any of my tips. And I was like, that's far below minimum wage. 
right? So th- that was the fair, right? So there's a lot of exploitation in the fair. And I said, here's my card. I was like, if you need any assistance, give me a call. So, you know, I would always say, keep cards on you for, you know, resources, either domestic violence, human trafficking, always keep a handful of cards on you and, and try, obviously don't put yourself in danger, but if you see something and you're able to, you know, go into a bathroom, you know, if you see a girl in the bathroom, Hey, you know, there's help for you out there. And it's sometimes it's just that little bit of somebody recognizing that something's wrong, right? Because if if nobody else is acting like it's wrong, you're not going to think it's wrong either. Oh, my heart is just so like, Oh, I'm, but I'm so proud of you. And I think what you're doing is so amazing for our community. And so, um, thank you for being here and sharing your story. Is there anything else that you want to say or leave with? Not that I can think of right now, you know, whenever I start talking unscripted, it's kind of like, it just all comes out, you know? (laughs) And so there's nothing really specific that I could say. I would just say, keep pushing for education. You know, Uh, we're really trying to get it into our schools and um, just being a mentor is really important. And, and just, yeah, think you got, you have to be open-minded and see things from a different lens. Absolutely. Yeah. Great advice. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'll um, put your contact information in the show notes. So if somebody wants to reach out to you, um, they have access to you and thank you again for being here and sharing your story and keep up all the wonderful stuff you're doing for our community. Absolutely. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please share this episode on social media and tag me. And if you know someone who needs to hear this message, please share. I can't wait to continue to inspire you all.